This morning we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians and, and we're looking at some indicators into the local church and, and what makes up a dynamic church or what makes up a church that, that makes a difference not only in a community but in the lives of, of people. You know, I find this, that there's a lot of Christians that are, <clears throat> excuse me, there are a lot of Christians that are unhappy with their, their spiritual life and many times that's because they don't understand that the gospel is to be lived. I mean, the gospel is a way of life. That it, the gospel is something that, that impacts their whole life, that impacts their dating relationships, their marriages, uh, their, their, their jobs, uh, their careers. And so they don't understand that, that the gospel is not something that we just do for an hour on the weekend that we sing about and we preach about and we teach about, but the gospel is meant to be lived throughout your throughout your entire life. You see, when I first became a pastor, I had some false beliefs, and maybe like a lot of other pastors, that I believed it was my job to fix people. And uh, you know what? It didn't take me long to realize that, you know what? I, I don't have the power. I don't have the ability to fix people. Um, it, it discouraged me at times. It frustrated me at times. Because, but, but here's the deal. Here's what the Scripture says, that, that as a pastor, it is not my job to fix people. It is my job to lead people in the worship of a holy and a righteous God and then to help them to live holy lives, help them to live out the gospel in their life. And so last week we talked about this issue that the church is supposed to be a place of community. The church is supposed to be a place of, of like deep relationships to where people know one another and they know each other's names. They, they pray for one another and they encourage one another. And so this week we're just going to go a little bit deeper into that with this thought that, that the church is supposed to be a place of, of faithfulness. I mean, it, Scripture teaches that, that God... When God impacts a life and, and he changes a life and he begins to transform that life and forgiveness of sin and, and all of the other things that go with that, that God also uses people to support you, to encourage you, to comfort you. He uses people to speak truth into your life to, to help you and I stay faithful. You see, this is what was going on at the church in Thessalonica, that Paul had started the church. He had started the church with Timothy. Now, that is really important for us to remember as we look at the culture and we look at this as we walk through these verses together. But Paul started the church there in Thessalonica with, with Timothy because of persecution, because of some other problems. Paul has been removed. He's in Athens. He's several hundred miles away. And so Paul had a relationship with this church there in Thessalonica. And so Paul is concerned about the church. Are they still meeting? Are they still, are they, have they stayed faithful? Are they still following God? Have they disbanded? What's going on? And so Paul sends Timothy back. And so I want to give you this morning just three simple factors that, that a church that is a church that, that it has built community and develop, developed community are three factors of, of how God uses people to help you and I be faithful. The first one is this, is God uses people in your life to encourage you. I mean, when, when community is built, because one of the biggest burdens that I have about, about Christians is this, is that when Christians tell me and say, you know what, I don't have any Christian friends. Man, th this is all I got is an hour on the weekends in worship. And um, I, you know what, I don't have one Christian friend. And Scripture says this, that isolation always breeds sin. Scripture says this, that when you and I do not have Christian friends around us that can speak truth into our life, then we're at risk. And we're at risk because we can be deceived, right? We can be self-deceived. We can be deceived by the adversary, the evil one, Satan. 
We can be deceived by the world. We, we've, we've got three things against us, right? The world, the world's value systems, the world's ways, uh, the flesh, which is us, which is, which is sinful desires. And, and, and the third thing is, is this, is, is the world, the flesh, and then we have Satan or the adversary. And so we all need people around us that can speak truth in our life. We all need people around us that encourage us. Here's what Paul says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. In other words, Paul had a relationship. He's like dying. He's 100 miles away. He's in Athens. And he's like, I'm wondering what is going on back in Thessalonica. And he says, when we could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. In other words, I was willing to let one of my closest friends go, Timothy, go back to you to, to get a report. And we sent Timothy, our brother of God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to watch this, to establish. Okay, so that's to give you a foundation. That's to give you a firm foundation. That's to give you a, a, a solid foundation. The relationships around you, man, or what give you a foundation in life? Are the relationships around you, are they drawing you farther away from God or closer to God? Are they encouraging you to be faithful? Are they even wondering why you do the whole church thing? Every one of us needs relationships around us that what? That establish us and gives us this firm foundation. And then he goes on, and to exhort you or encourage, encourage you how? Encourage you in, in your faith. I mean, we all need encouragement, right? There's something about distance that sometimes can make difficulty much more difficult than what it normally would be if we were there, right? I mean, my dad, uh, several months back, was diagnosed with bladder cancer, and, and so I live a thousand and some odd miles away from him. And you know what? The distance just made it worse. And um, he went through two rounds of, of chemo, and at the end of every round, they would check him and do a biopsy, and then if, if the cancer was still there, he'd have to go through another round. Well, after his second round, or during his second round, my dad's like, I'm not doing this again. He said, I'm just not. And it, it upset the whole family, because we're like, Dad, you know, if the doctors tell you you need to do it again, you need to do it again. He goes, you know what, I don't care about the doctors. I don't care what they say. I'm not doing it again. I still remember that morning when I was waiting from a, for a text message from a brother that went to the doctor with my dad for the results of the bobs. And uh, it came back clean, and thank the Lord he doesn't have to go through it again because I don't think he would have. But I still remember, you see, Paul's living in a day and time when there is no text messages. There is no technology. There are no cell phones. There are no blogs. There is not Twitter or, or Facebook or social media or, or cell phones or telephones or fax machines. Or, man, we live in a world of instant information. You see, in their day, they didn't have that. And so what Paul did, Paul understood. And so Paul sends Timothy back because, man, he's dying. What's up with the church? Those people that I led to the Lord, those people that are baptized, those people that I, I, I pastored and I ministered to. You see, there's a relationship there. There's friendships there. There's this, there's this deep care about each other. And this is, this is so interesting. And so he sends Timothy. Why did he send Timothy? Because Timothy wasn't a stranger to them. See, Timothy had a relationship with them. Paul understood that. Paul got that, that in the local church, relationships are critical. 
So he sends Timothy because Timothy had started the church with Paul, and, Tim, and Paul knew that they would trust Timothy. They knew they could talk to Timothy. They had this relationship with Timothy. And Paul did not send a stranger to them. Some of the most difficult hospital visits that we can make as pastors is that, that many times people will talk to us and say, you know what, i got a mom in the hospital, I've got a sister, I've got a dad, or i got someone in the hospital. And I, man, I don't know where they are with the Lord. So pastor, would you go visit them? They haven't been in church since childhood. I have no clue where they are. I mean, I know as a child they went to church. I know they, they were raised kind of in and out of church and that type of deal. But they have never talked to the Lord. I've never heard them talk to the Lord. Would, would you just go? Can I tell you that? This, those are some of the most awkward meetings a pastor will ever go through. Because you're walking into a hospital room. You're meeting them for the first time. And, and they're sick and they're not feeling well. And they're in this hospital gown and, and that whole deal. And it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little strange. It's it's awkward. Why? Because we're a stranger to them. I never will forget, here a while back, I, uh, someone in our church said, would you please go visit my mom in the hospital and, and, uh, and share, share, share your faith with her? And, and I, I think I almost killed her. Uh, it, it was one of those hospital visits that went bad, and I, and I have plenty. I mean, that is not my gift. You do not want me to come visit you in the hospital, I promise you. You know, when things get awkward, I say stupid stuff, stuff that I should not say, stuff that Pastor Steve should stop me before I complete the sentence. But, but so I go to the hospital, and so the daughter asks, that goes to our church, none of the other family members ever had come to our church. They don't know me. I came and knocked on the door, and, and unfortunately, the daughter that, from our church that invited me, she was not in the room. And so now it's really awkward. And so I'm just walking in. I say, hey, I'm Charlie Jones. I'm, I'm a pastor. And, and your daughter asked me to come visit you. And the lady freaked. I mean, you could tell she got, she, her breathing started to change. She got agitated. Some bells went off or, or alarms went off on some stuff. And so, so a nurse came in. They asked me to step out of the room. I stepped out of the room. And, man, there's this commotion going on in the room. And so, so one of the daughters who does not go to the church, who did not like me, by the way, came out and says, do not ever come visit my mom again. She thought you were here to give last rites. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that was a bad deal. And so, but you know what? Here, here's the deal. Man, I've watched this in hospital rooms because, you know, we've done this through the years. And it's awkward when the pastor comes in and they do not have a relationship with the pastor and they do not know you and they're meeting you for the first time. And I've been in the room and then family members or friends come in. There's great emotion, there's tears, there's hugs, there's touch, there's all of that. Listen, let me tell you something. When people go through crisis, they don't need a stranger to give them scripture. They need a shoulder of a friend who can give them scripture. Listen, let me tell you something. If you're a believer... You can share scripture in the hospital. You don't need a pastor to come do that for you. You have the relationship. You have the relational chips. You're the one. Fact is, you're the best one because you have influence in their life. You see, there's this, there's this relationship. See, Paul understood that. Paul got that. And they, need, they don't need a stranger. They, they need someone that they know. They need someone that they have a relationship with. And so... Paul sent Timothy, and I think it's verse, let's see here, verse, verse, 
Verse 2. It says, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort or encourage you in your faith. That Greek word for encourage or exhort is what the ESV says, is paraclete, which means come alongside of someone. You see, we all need Christians. We all need brothers and sisters in Christ that are willing to come alongside of us in, in life. See, that's, that's what life groups are about. See, that's the power of life groups. That's the power of relationships to where people come alongside of one another and they share what is lacking. Remember that when we looked at that last week? They share what is lacking in one another's faith. Because when we go through difficult times, or you know what, or when we go through times of celebration, or when we're dealing with those times of being deceived, we need someone that can supply what is lacking in our faith. There's this false belief going around that, you know what, these life group things, that's, that's kind of for immature believers. I'm a mature believer. That's kind of for new Christians. That's that. Let me tell you something. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 says it's for everybody. We all need it. Man, I'm not just telling you something that, that, that I don't live. I, mean, I need it as your pastor. I, you know what? I, I would not be as effective as I am to whatever level that is without some men around me that I've opened up my life to. And they've opened up their life to me. Listen, let me tell you something. Never open up your life. Never be vulnerable to someone that's unwilling to be vulnerable to you. That's not life groups. That's not doing life together. Man, I got some men in my life that when I go through discouraging times, I have lunch with Dave McKenzie or we hang out and, and I've got some other men in my life some relationships in my life that when my faith is lacking and they supply what is lacking in my faith you see when I became pastor here in 1999 and I, I, I you know I, I just I never want to do anything that would hurt the church I would never want to do anything that would hurt you because I understand that when a pastor falls, I mean, it just, it wipes people out. There's some people when a pastor falls that, you know what, they'll leave the church, they'll never go back. I'll just do it on my own, and that's not biblical. And I never wanted to be one of those guys, and so I started seeing that some pastors, they, they end up their life in, in, in the ditch, and, and in the ditches of life, and churches are destroyed, and people are, are hurt, and, and all this other, and I never wanted to be one of those guys. And so I started looking at Scripture. I started looking into the lives of some pastors that I knew that had been pastoring for 30 and 40 years and successful ministries in the same church, and they just did life together. And what you found is, is they lived transparent lives. They did life together. You see, I'm not a big person in accountability groups. I mean, I know that was popular and still is. Hey, you've got to be in an accountability group. Listen, the problem with accountability groups, you're only accountable for the information you disclose. Now, there's a lot of pastors that ended up in the ditches, and they said, hey, I had an accountability group. Well, you know, you weren't disclosing everything. You had a secret life. But when you understand doing life together, when you understand relationships, when you understand life groups, then 
then you live a life that's transparent. I mean, our goal, whether you're a pastor or whether you're sitting in the chair, is this, is that, that our public life would match our private life. I mean, my, my dream for you, or my dream for me and my ministry is this, is that, is that I'm the same whether I'm on this platform or on the golf course or, or fly fishing or, or hanging out with you. You just don't develop a preacher's voice because you get up here and you don't use God with like 16 syllables and just carry it out. And See, Paul understood. Paul understood relationships. There's, there's something about us that when we hurt, and we want people around us. At every funeral I do, I generally say something like this. I, I, I say, listen, this family's hurting. And I know the awkwardness in the room, it, right? I mean, that's, sometimes that's what keeps people from going to funerals. The awkward is, awkwardness in the room is what would I say? What would I say? to how, how, would I, how do I encourage that individual? How do I help that individual? I tell every funeral that I do to the people, I say, you know what? Just you being here is enough. None of us have the right words. How are you going to remove someone's grief at that moment? But just you being here. Man, that's enough. As a pastor, I've talked to person after person that I've done funerals for their loved ones, and, and we're, we're sitting in a room afterwards, and they're saying, I cannot believe such and such was here. I cannot believe all these people just showed up to support me. I got this motto that, that I try to live, uh, try to attend every wedding you're invited to, especially if you're the pastor. <laughs> I've missed one. Other than that, i got a perfect record. Try to attend every wedding that you're invented, in, invited to and never, 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 never miss a funeral. You're not there for the deceased. You're there for the family. And if you really want to minister to them aside from attending the funeral, write down the date, six months from then, and then a year from then, send them a card. Just say, hey, I'm thinking of you. When we hurt Lazarus, remember Lazarus when... They went to Mary and Martha, sent for Jesus, and it took Jesus like four days to get there. And Lazarus was dead. And, and they looked at Jesus when he got there, and they said, if, if you had been here, this would not have happened. There's something about us when we hurt. We want people around us. We want people to encourage us. I, I cannot imagine what someone does in life when they go through difficulty and you don't have anyone. You don't have any Christian friends. They can say, stay pure. Stay strong. Here's the scripture that God has given me. I mean, I went through what you're going through. And here's what we did. Here's the verses we claim. This is what God did for us. See, I hurt for the Christian that this service is all they get. And they really don't know anybody. They really don't have any relationship. 
They, they don't have anyone in their life that can speak truth into their life and talk to them what it means to be faithful and that it's, it's worth it and that God blesses you. Ecclesiastes 4.1 says this. He says, again, I saw all of the oppression that are, that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had, watch this, they had no one to comfort them. None. Nobody. Only a believer can comfort a believer in difficulty in life. Everything else is hollow. In fact, is Mother Teresa said this. Mother Teresa said, the greatest form of poverty is loneliness. She said, there is no other greater, there is no greater form of poverty than someone that's living an isolated life. There's someone that has no one around them to, com- to comfort them. He goes on and says, and on the side of their oppressors there was power. In other words, the people that were oppressing them were strong and influential. And there was no one. There was no one to comfort them. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 then later on says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, no one... Uh, fall, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is what? Alone. Remember, that's the first thing that God said that what is not good. Loneliness. God created us for relationships. God created us for Christian friends. God created us for people that could, could, could encourage us and support us and to speak into our life. But woe to him who is alone. When he falls, he has not another. It's in the celebrations of life. It's in the routine of life that you build those relationships, that you build that trust so that when you go through difficult time, that there's people that know you, that can speak into your life. Again, if two lie together, they, they keep warm, and how, but how can one keep warm alone? And th- though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So Paul sent Timothy to encourage them because he knew he had a relationship with them. He knew he could encourage them. The second thing is this, is that people around us not only encourage us, but they will strengthen us. They will strengthen us when we go through trials. They will strengthen us when we go through difficulty. It's, watch this, verse, verse 3, as we just keep moving through the text, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Man, Paul was upfront and honest. He didn't mislead them. He didn't tell them, you become a Christian, you'll never have another problem in your life. You'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, uh, you'll be happy, all of your relationships will, will, will be fine. Paul had integrity. Paul told them, listen, you're destined for this. You will go through trial. You will lose loved ones. You will be persecuted. You will have illness. You will have financial problems. See, being a Christian does not exempt you or me from problems and struggles. And Paul was honest. For when we were with you, We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. It's going to be difficult just as it has come to pass and just as you know. And Paul told them in advance what was in store for them. Verse 5, he goes on, For this reason. For what reason? For the reason that I knew that you would go through temptation. The reason that I knew that you would go through persecution. The reason that I knew that you'd go through difficulty. For this reason... I was concerned about. For this reason, I longed to see you. And I could bear it no longer. 
I sent to learn about your faith. Listen, is there anybody that you're in relationship with that you care about their faith? I mean, they're close to you. And not to where that you give that assignment to someone else. But to where you know, it's up to me. See, Paul cared about their faith. Paul cared about their walk. Paul was in community with them, and they had this relationship. He's like, I couldn't bear it any longer. I just had to know. I just had to know about your faith. I just had to know, have you bailed out? I just had to know that if you've given up, if you've given in to temptation, if you walked away, and just... For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand... I'm sorry, verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter has tempted you and our labor. And it would be in vain. The scripture is clear that we have an adversary and his name is Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. And how? By standing firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. In other words, see, that's the power of life groups, is that we understand that, you know what? I'm not the only one going through this. I'm not the only one dealing with marital problems. I'm not the only one dealing with temptation. I'm not the only one dealing with financial pressures. I'm not the only one that's ever dealt with. You fill in the blank. You see, Satan would love to unsettle us. Satan would love to bring you to the point where you doubt your salvation. You doubt whether you've really been forgiven by him. You doubt whether you're really right with him. Because when he discourages you to that level, you will never live life. You will never live out the gospel in your daily life. And, and here's the deal. And it's a crummy deal. But it happened in Thessalonica and it happens today. Whenever God moves through a community, whenever God moves through a church, opposition always comes. Satan doesn't give up ground easily. And you know what happens in your personal life as well. And Paul was so honest about this. I, I never will forget. Many years back, when we first moved into this facility, I, I did a wedding. And it was a young couple who got, got married, and so the groom and I were, stand, were in this room, and, and, you know, man, that can just be awkward, and, and it just seems like eternity in that room with a groom, and you're waiting, and, you know, he's, you know, and he's about ready to get married, and, and so I go in there a few, few minutes early, and, and you know, then, it, then it's like everything moves in, like, slow motion, because now it's like herding cats out there where they're trying to get the wedding party, and, and all the girls and lined up, and makeup, and all that other stuff, and so we're waiting for our signal that, hey, they're ready, and it's, it's, it's going to go down. It's going to happen. And so we're in there, and this guy, I really believe, he started having an anxiety attack. And so I look over at him, and like beads of sweat are just, I mean, he's sweating BBs and then like bullets. And I mean, it's just now it's just running down his face. And I'm thinking, you're going to sweat through that tux. And so I, I look at him, and I says, are you okay? Seriously, are you okay? Are you going to make it through this? And he looked at me, and he goes, you know what? If I can just get through the wedding ceremony, everything will be perfect after that. 
I'll get to live with her 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'll nev- if I get through this, I'll never have another problem. Now, what would you have told him? <laughs> I'm telling you, what would you have told him? I'm like, buddy, I, uh, I hope to burst your bubble. Remember, we talked about this in premarital. And uh, I never will forget, I know this is mean, but, but uh, when, we, when, we, when we first moved in, we had a door that's, you know, some of you remember, we had a door there and a long story why it was there, and now it's gone, thank the Lord. And so we're standing here, and we took our place, and, and so the, the processional started, and so I whispered to him, and I turned off my mic, because I didn't want mom to hear, you know, his mom especially, and I turned to him, and I said, you know what, over your left shoulder is a door. freedom coming down that aisle in a few minutes is responsibility you choose but you know but here's the deal if if you don't tell a couple going into marriage you're going to have problems you're going to disagree then when they go through problems it'll wipe them out because they think they're the only ones they think, they think, see, Paul was like that. Paul understood. Paul never wanted to mislead them and say, you become a Christian, you'll never have another problem in your life. That Christianity doesn't exempt you from trials and doesn't exempt you from problems, but it gives you the power, it gives you the strength to walk through those problems and those difficulties differently. The last thing is this. He encourages us, people encourage us, they strengthen us, and the last thing is this, is that they comfort us. I mean, these are all the principles of life groups that we, we, that we just live out here at Fellowship of the Rockies. Uh, verse 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remembered us kindly and longed to see us as we longed to see you. Man, Paul's excited. You know what? They feel the same way about me that I feel about them. For this reason, brothers... In all our distress and affliction, we have been what? We have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live. We were just existing before. We were just existing before these relationships. We were just existing in life before Christ. Man, now we live. For now we live. If you are standing fast in the Lord. Man, the crazy thing is, I mean, Paul was encouraged by their faith. Doesn't it encourage you to know that you made a difference in someone's life? Doesn't it encourage you that when you're in community, you're in life with someone, and they're going through a difficult trial, and they walk through it honoring God, they walk through it with the same principles before that, that they had as now that they have in trials? Doesn't that encourage you? Doesn't it encourage you when you go through a difficulty, you go through a trial, and a Christian can look you in the eyes and says, you know what, I've dealt with that. It wasn't fun, it wasn't easy, but here's what God did for me in my life. I mean, when you and I go through trials, when we go through difficulty, the Bible says that there's several different ways that we can respond. One is we can respond irrationally. 
That's just where we just totally freak out and we just respond irrationally. You know, and that's when we need people in our life to be able to speak and look into our life and speak truth into our life and say you're being irrational. The other thing that we can do, we can be irrational. The other thing that we can do is we can exaggerate the problem. I mean, Elijah did that, right? Elijah was like this prophet. He was like this man of God, and he had this pity party. And so he's like whining to God, and he made the mistake of making this statement to God. He tells God, he says, God, I'm the only prophet. I'm the only one that's living like this. I'm the only one that's doing this. I mean, we can exaggerate the problem to the point where we think, you know what? I'm the only one that's going through this. I'm the only one that's dealing with this. There's something wrong with me. And you know what God told him? God says, Elijah... Last count I had, there's 7,000 prophets. Get up and start living for me. See, we can be irrational. We can exaggerate. We can exaggerate the problem and be resentful. Job's wife. I mean, Job's wife, when they lost everything, when they lost the health, when they lost children, when they lost their business, when they lost... And she became so resentful. Like Job, just curse God and die. And Job's like, even though he slay me, I will trust him. When Christians remain faithful, it encourages me. Some of you in this room, you have encouraged me greatly. I've been through illness with you. I've been through marital problems with you. I've been loss of loved ones with you. Financial problems. And I've watched how you've walked. See, the Bible says there's three stages of life. Isaiah 40, 31 gives them to us, and we'll close with this. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So here's the three stages of life. They're written in the margins of my Bible. You can write them in, in the margin of your Bible as well because they just mean so much to me. The first stage is this. It is when you're on the top of the world. Uh, you know, you shall renew your strength. Uh, you shall mount up with, with wings like eagles. It's like that young man that was in, in the, the holding room, okay? He was like on top of the world. He's about ready to get married. And so he's, he's, he, he's on top of the world. The second one is this, is when you go through the routine of life, when you run and you not grow weary, that's where life is lived, just in the routine, to where you just run and not grow weary. And then another stage of life is, is this, is where all you can do is not grow faint. Where the legs have been cut out from under you. And you know what the Bible says in all three stages of life? We need people around us. There's a lot of people that think, you know what? When I've mounted up like wings of eagles, I don't need anybody around me. I, I got this figured out. In the routine, just going through the routine, I don't have time. I mean, I, I'm just going through a routine. I don't have time. You're just existing. And then there's those times when it's like, all I can do is just keep from fainting. The Bible says this. You need Christians around you 
that you pour into their life and they pour into yours. In the bulletin is an insert about all the life groups that we had, and I made this call last week, and I'll make it again this week. And I would just encourage you, some of you, well, you need to pray about, all of you need to pray about this. And we've got life groups that meet all over the city. You can go online, and there's directions how to do that, and you can fill out an interest form. And I would encourage you and just tell you, you know what? You need to do lives with some people. We need 25 new life group leaders, and we're praying for them. We got eight last week and several others that are praying, so we're going to start at least eight life groups in the fall. I mean, our church, we are moving deeper into community. My prayer for you is that everyone would be connected to a group of people that can love them, support them, and encourage them. Would you bow your heads with me?